Hello, everyone, and welcome to Topics in Faith, part of the In Faith series of podcasts. I'm your host, Daniel Didek, and this week we're looking at weapons of the enemy as we return to a part of the story of Joseph found in Genesis 39 as we consider what we expect of our life as Christians and how we react when things don't go to plan. Let's take a look. So here we are officially, officially setting off on our course for topics in faith. On the writing side of things, um, I spent today actually kind of scheduling out the next couple years as far as, as God continues to allow me to follow that schedule for planning out how these books are going to come out. And then also making sure that there is time for the podcast and things of that nature. And it was really good last week, actually, I was able to sit down and kind of script out a bunch of the episodes, or at least sort of I have the topics laid out, what they're going to be, what their verses are, and kind of the main theme we'll be developing. And so this, again, is one of the first we're going to do. And this one actually came lately, as I mentioned in the intro episode. There's something that kind of came up in church. I, I knew I wanted to go back to Joseph anyway, and then sort of the sermon that was preached, I felt it kind of fed into it really, really well because it's something that can set up an expectation inadvertently. Perhaps, you know, we come into our Christian faith and and look ahead to what our lives might look like. And sometimes what happens doesn't seem to line up with what we thought was going to happen. The church I attend, they do every year, they have their word of the year. Um, the pastor and his wife who also preaches there on occasion and is considered one of the pastors of the church. They go apart for a time towards the end of the year and time for prayer and devotion. And, but they, they come back with this word of the year that they deliver in January. That is the word for our church to live by. Now, maybe you have some ideas about that, that, you know, I know not every church does that. Some of you may kind of recoil at the idea, but I want to, I want to point out really quick that like things like this, when we read, you know, the book of Revelation, Jesus gave very specific letters to very specific churches. And sometimes I know Paul on occasion would exchange letters between churches, but for the most part, a message to one church was intended for that church alone. And so don't read too much into a church such as mine having a word of the year. You know, it's it's they're usually very positive, right? When the, you know, the churches that do this, there's not like a Old Testament prophet, repent or you will be burned to ashes. That's usually not the word of the year. Repent is rarely a word of the year. Uh, suffering is almost never a word of the year, as far as I've heard anyway. And so it's it's very easy to seem like this is just another saccharine kind of pleasing the masses, trying to get more people to come to your church because they have a good word. But this is one of those ones, and, I, and it's this always depends on who's receiving this word. Uh, you can take it badly. And this is one, this is why I wanted to talk about this a little bit. Again, my, you know, my pastor did a very good job of, of laying this out in the sermon. So this isn't like a contradiction to what he said or anything, but it just it got my wheels turning and it made me think again about what happened to Joseph uh, in the, in the episode where we, we kind of moved very quickly through. And, and again, we were focused on the forgiveness side of things. So some of what, you know, we're going to talk about today is we've kind of sort of already covered But today is going to be in a a much more focused way. And with this word of the year and this verse that was given as the background for the word of the year as sort of a context or especially as a place to to jump off. It comes from Isaiah. So it is Old Testament scripture, but 
we are going to get into some New Testament scripture that backs it up so that we know this is not just for ancient Israel. It's in Isaiah chapter 54, and I'm going to start with reading 17 first because this is the verse that Pastor gave our church for our word of the year. And then back up to verse 16 to kind of give it some context. There's a, it's a really interesting preceding verse. But verse 17 itself says, No weapon forged against you will prevail, and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and this is their vindication from me, says the Lord. And so our word was no weapon. The whole thing is no weapon formed against you will prevail. Now, again, it doesn't change the meaning when we set it in context, but there is kind of, it's, when I read the verse that preceded it, I definitely wanted to bring it into this episode. So if we go backward to verse 16, we're going to read the whole passage over again, this time starting in verse 16. God says, See, it is I who created the blacksmith who fans the coals into flame and forges a weapon fit for its work. And it is I who have created the destroyer to wreak havoc. No weapon forged against you will prevail, and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and this is their vindication from me, says the Lord. Now, where this can go wrong, and so where I want to point out, is that verse 17 does not say that no weapon will be forged against you. And this doesn't necessarily come from any one place. It is very common for new Christians to think, when I start to follow Christ, things will get easier. And that is almost never the case. Oftentimes things get harder because God is going to expect things from you that your flesh is not prepared to do. So it's very easy for people to read this and say, oh, there's no weapon that's going to be formed against me. It doesn't say that. And that's why I also wanted to bring in verse 16, because interestingly, it says God has created the destroyer. So when weapons do come against us, it is not as though God were out of, that he was no longer in control of what was happening. He claims to even have created it, which is interesting. We don't have time necessarily to get into this today, but we can look at the early chapters of Job and see how Satan comes into the presence of God and asks for permission to basically ask for permission to harm Job and God gives it. And then Satan goes from the presence of God down to earth to Job and inflicts the pain that he does. And so it's this, this kind of complex, maybe we don't want to wrap our minds around it kind of thing that nothing happens apart from God's knowledge and his permission which is a deep, dark path to go down. <laughs> like I said, I don't really want to try to go down today because that's that's maybe a topic for another day when um, we have a lot more time. But we want to focus on for right now that regardless of the weapons that are formed against us, he still says that they will not prevail. And Jesus, as I said, this, this comes across in the New Testament as well. In case you're thinking this is only an Old Testament verse, Jesus says in John 16, 33, he again promises that we will have trouble. But in an echo of the Isaiah passage, he reminds us to take heart because he has overcome the world. So there again, since he has overcome it, the authority that the devil might have had um, has been stripped. And so he cannot have power over you that you do not give him, Satan that is. So weapons will come, but they will not prevail unless we let them prevail. And what might a weapon look like? And this is where I want to return to Joseph because... Oftentimes what happens in scripture is we know the end, right? When we come to passages like Joseph, when we look at even some things that were happening to David at the time, 
when we come to the New Testament and Jesus and his crucifixion, we know the end of the story as we have been given it in scripture. And so it can sometimes be very easy for us to read that kind of lightly and not really enter into what was happening there and what it would have been like for the people who were there in the moment who didn't know what was happening. So I want us to look at three quick things that happened to Joseph, but do it in the light of like, when this was happening to him, he didn't know how it was going to work out. Now, as we did talk about in the previous episodes, he believed it would. He was given the, you know, two dreams by God. He knew their interpretation because God was with him and gave him the interpretation. And so I believe he had full faith in the promise, but that didn't mean he knew how it was going to work itself out. And it would have been very easy for him to worry as we would that it was going to, because oftentimes when we're in that moment and we can't see how God's going to redeem something, we start to wonder if he actually will. And so we look first that he was, you know, we talked about was that his father even turned against him when he explained the dream of even his, you know, his mother and father and brothers were all going to bow down to him. His father kind of scorned the idea and his brothers hated him to the point that they betrayed him and sold him for a pittance that the amount of money that they sold him for was not a lot. And so by word and deed, they indicated to him that he was worthless to them. He was not really even considered a brother by them at that point in order, you know, for them to, to go to the level of selling him and tricking their father into thinking he was dead. They told him in spades <laughs> that they thought he was absolutely worthless. And it can be very easy for the opinions of others to start to infect our own minds and say, well, here I am in this, in this place. 10 other people told him he was worthless. And so, you know, it would be very easy for that doubt to try to worm its way in and say, maybe you are worthless. And very much that can happen to us. We can believe we have a call in our lives from God and we can have people, whether well-intentioned or completely ignorant of it, or maybe they know and scorn the way Joseph's brothers did. But they tell us in one way, shape or form that no, there is no way you are cut out for this, that you're able to do this. And it can be very difficult. There can be definite moments of, Maybe I cannot do this. After that, he was falsely accused and imprisoned. He was doing well in Potiphar's house. He was put in charge of everything. He was rejecting the advances of Potiphar's wife the way he should. He was keeping himself free from sin. But even despite that, he was falsely accused and lost everything and thrown in prison. So again, imagine yourself in your social circles, in your job. Imagine your group of friends. All of a sudden, one of them says something about you that is untrue. And all of your friends look at you in disgust and, and banish you from their group because of a false accusation, something you did not even say. It was not part of your character. But for some reason, the group decided to listen to this other person instead of trusting in their own knowledge of you and, and kicked you out. Or in your job, you could be fired or even put in prison like Joseph by a false accusation. Maybe it's a job that you felt you were called to do, that you were passionate about, that you were equipped for and for some reason someone there had something against you and they lied about something that you did or something you said and when it reached the right ears you were fired from that job from your dream job from the place that you thought God had brought you to and how difficult it would be at that point to recover from that especially if it's maybe we don't even have to think about being thrown in prison because that would be a a very very strong accusation and there would have to be you know some degree of proof but even for the rest of us even if you don't get fired from the job, maybe, you know, your coworkers suddenly 
don't treat you or react or act towards you in the way they used to because of this lie that you have no way of proving. And it can be very easy, again, to sort of give up on it, to either quit the job if you're not fired, if you are fired, to wonder, like, is that, was I wrong? Was I called to the wrong place? Did I understand God wrong? And then Joseph was forgotten. So he'd been in prison, again, rose through the ranks there, was put in charge of other prisoners. And he gave the two men the interpretations of their dreams. The one who was foretold to live, Joseph said, hey, when you're pulled out of here in three days and you're with Pharaoh, remember me, that I have been wrongly accused. Remember that I have given you, you know, this interpretation that I have value and use to Pharaoh if he would investigate the matter. And after three days, three days only, the cupbearer is restored to his position and he's so happy about it that he completely forgets Joseph for two more years. So now Joseph is in prison for something he did not do for two years. And we can perhaps think of times that we did something nice for someone else and it went completely unrepaid. Whether it was you asked them, hey, now that I've done this for you, can you do the same for me? And they turn their back on you and walk away. Maybe they even go as far as to act like you didn't do anything for them at all. Whether they, you know, maybe still acknowledge that you did something, but it didn't have the impact that you believe it did. Or they they go about their way as though you had done absolutely nothing. And they did it on their own, under their own strength and wisdom and, and disregard you entirely and forget about you. It is easy when we know the outcome to suffer through the things we suffer. The trick is remembering that we know the outcome. That is the hard part, is knowing Satan is defeated, knowing we have a reward in heaven, knowing that one day our light and momentary sufferings, as the scripture puts it, will be gone, will be behind us. And what we have waiting for us is so much better than anything we can imagine or think of that everything that we think is terrible now will be forgotten in that moment. And so as Joseph did, as we talked about when we were going through his story the last time, he knew he believed the dream. He stayed faithful to God. He always did what was right. As I said, we could see it when he was finally after two years. So two years in prison he had to think about all the wrongs done to him, to think about how his brothers had treated him, how Potiphar's wife had lied about him, how the cupbearer had forgotten him. He could have stewed on that and gotten more and more bitter. But as soon as he's finally called out of prison into Pharaoh's presence and Pharaoh asks him, I have had a dream. I am told that you can interpret the dreams. Here's a perfect opportunity for Joseph to say, yes, Pharaoh, I can do that. To set himself up as like, yes, I am, I am valuable to you. I can do this thing that no one else can do for you. Instead, the first thing scripture records him saying is, I cannot do it. Right then and there, <laughs> I mean, it was very possible for Pharaoh to cut him off right then and say, okay, well, go away then. You're wasting my time. But he said, I cannot do it. It is God who will give the interpretation of the dream. And I really believe by that, when you see that sort of attitude in someone, you know that their faith has remained strong despite everything they've been through. So I hope that can happen to you. I know what scripture says, that no weapon formed against us shall prevail. It might be that the weapon formed against you that doesn't prevail, the reason it doesn't prevail is because at the end of all things, <laughs> when we are in heaven, our soul is still secure with God. It's, it can depend on you how you define a weapon prevailing. If losing your house or losing your car or losing your job or losing a friend 
means that that weapon has prevailed for you, then these scriptures will not ring true. But I think with everything that we look at, we must always consider the spiritual component. What is the state of our soul after the weapon that has formed and come against us and has done whatever damage it has done? Is it well with your soul? If it is, then the weapon has not prevailed. If it is not, then repent, turn back to God, and continue on our way. It is sometimes seems like a long journey. It will not be. When we get there, it will seem far, far shorter than it feels like in the moment. So hang in there. Remember these words. Next week, we are looking at our alibi. This is going to be an interesting one. This was one I had intended to do this one next after the intro because it has been one that has been on my mind. I sort of worked through delivering it over and over and over again. It's one that's been with me a long time. And it's one that I believe in principle, it strikes me as a little too wild to be true. (laughs) I'm going to leave you with that for a week to wonder what on earth I'm talking about. So until next week, keep the faith and keep it fresh.